for anyone who wants to turn there. Romans 8, 1 through 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit uh, is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I just had one of those moments where I thought I left my mic on during the worship. Um, although I, I would have joined quite nicely with the worship team, I think. Rightly. No? Oh. Everybody has their opinion. Right. Well, good morning. Um, I pray that you would die. Yeah, this is a wonderful passage for us to consider. Even in the days that we find ourselves... Um, I hope that you would be attentive to consider them yourself as you ask the question and as I go to prayer, who changes the mind of a man? And uh, quite frankly, we can acknowledge that there are many attempts in the society which we find ourselves in, which is convinced that they can pursue righteousness and holiness and good things by their own minds. And here Paul puts before us the only hope that we might have pursue good things. So I ask you to pray with me. Lord, we recognize that by your Spirit that we can even pray. For unless something has happened within us by faith in Christ, we have been reconciled. We have been regenerated. And by your Holy Spirit, we can come before you and plead with you that you might Restore us and redeem us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Marvelous things that we pray for when we say those words. But how is it that we pray those words? By your Spirit, who has made us to delight in such things. Lord, we live in the midst of a world which desires its own mindset, sets before them their own ambitions, and we find conflict. And so, Lord, as we recognize these two conflicts within us or within the world, Lord, I pray that you give us as Christians a a perspective of ourselves and the perspectives of the way that we live in our families, our work sites, our schools. And that this would not just be theology, but something to apply in understanding the world around us in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen found myself looking at this text and I came to ask myself this question. Why is it this way? The reality is, is there are portions within Scripture that when read 
one group of people will find themselves rejoicing at what is being proclaimed, while the other party will be find themselves revolted by it. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. How is it that one group will be inspired by it and the other be refined it offensive? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 reads, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I dare you to post that on Facebook. (laughs) Such were some of you. So amazing how you can read a text where one will find it revolting, where those who understand something has happened. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Why is it this way? Why is it that there's a deep conflict which exists, which we recognize in regular day life? And what is wrong with the human condition that could see something so 180 degrees the opposite? Whereas one would find encouragement while others would find it being incredibly offensive. Why is it we do this? Imagine, and we recognize that we can look and drive into West Richland and we're driving home in the evening or some of us who get up in the morning and we see the sun rise, how beautiful and wonderful these things are. Yet when God himself incarnated himself among humanity, what was so wrong about the condition in humanity that when John writes in John 1, 11, he came to his own, the one who made the sunset and the sunrise, and those who were his own did not receive him. He was most glorifying and beautiful. Yet, those who did not receive him, there was those who did receive him and did follow him. And to those people, his disciples, who decided to follow him, he gave them this warning. If you were of the world, John chapter 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and because of the world... It hates you. Because of this, the world hates you. This is a phrase in which Jesus, recognizing that as a result of following him, the mindsets of the world and those who follow Christ is entirely contrary against each other. In fact, throughout the synoptic Gospels, it's repeated over and over again. Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. Mark 13, 13, you will be hated by all because of my name. Yes, it's the same phrase, but each gospel writer wants to put it before your reading. Luke 21, 16 through 17, but you will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. 
What is it within the mind of an individual that can read portions of scriptures while others will find them wonderful truths while others will read them and find them offensive? Why do the scriptures rebuke and caution those who pursue Christ to keep their boundaries when they're walking in the midst of a world? James 4.4, you see a strong rebuke, setting one's mind with the mind of the world, you adulteresses. Do you not know that the friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 8 puts before the reader theology. And it's not just a theology which we know in our minds, but we recognize daily this conflict, this worldview that we recognize that we walk into, or even our own families, our own friends, our own schools, well, workplaces would be included in this, have sharp disagreements towards our conviction. No doubt, Paul has put before us this idea there are two mindsets that we find ourselves walking into and living amongst. And so I would ask, as we consider these words and we recognize the realities in front of us, recognize this. Who is it that changed the mind, your mind, to delight in the things of God? Paul has been trying to argue this and put before the reader. Who has the ability to so change our mind, that which once was offensive to us, becoming something that we delight in. I mentioned this to the, the team before the service. I think of a friend growing up who used to mock Christians for gathering like we do this morning and singing together. Thinking that was odd and weird. And in fact, God did a wonder on him and he responded to the gospel years later. And as a result of this, he goes, I don't know what's happened to me, Jacob. I once mocked Christians for singing together, and now I almost get teary-eyed when I hear the church sing together. Who changes the mind of a man? That's what's at here, here, here. Because what Paul has said already in Romans 8, chapter 6, or chapter 8, verse 6, the mindset of the flesh is death. The way the flesh thinks is headed towards disaster, yet it's fixed on it. Who changes the mind to the light and the things of God that they pursue life and peace? This is what's at stake in this text. And I believe that as Christians, we must be so aware of who's changed my mind, your mind, to the light and things of God. For when we realize this to be true and what it is that changes the mind of a man, then we have something to offer to the world and nothing before that. And so this is what I find is something that we must understand. And so if you would follow with me, we're going to do theology. And once we've done our theology, there will be a convictional response. So to do our theology, Paul is going to put before the reader two different groups. And point one, it's a weird phrase, I ask the question, who are the those? In this chapter, you're going to find that Paul interchanges the, the pronoun those with different groups. And then really, they're just two groups, two mindsets. And so I'd ask, I plead with you, 
I want you bringing your Bibles to church. Like, the best I look at my iPhone, it, it holds like four verses on a screen. And I need you to open your Bibles and track with me. Because if you don't have your Bibles, you won't see the thoses, right? So to speak. I want you to see, and by having your Bible in front of you, you're able to test me. And see the context of which I'm reading. And see if I'm actually arguing from the text. This is why it's important. And then you can pay attention, I hope, and track with the logic of what I'm trying to do. And so point one, you're going to notice there are those in this section in which Paul points to in two different groups. There are one, those who are in Christ Jesus. Consider Romans 8, verse 1. There are those... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Up to this point, Paul has argued that, that there is a transition from one mindset to another mindset. It was back in Romans 7 verse 5 that Paul himself remembers that he once was not in Christ. Here in verse 7 5, he argues... For while we were in the flesh, we were of another different position, a different mindset. For while we were under the flesh, in the flesh, the sinful passions which we were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. When you are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And as a result of being in Christ Jesus, as we have come to realize and we'll see further in verse 2, You have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which produces fruit. And so Paul has already layered here in chapter 8 that there is one mindset, which are those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is recognized, this transition from those from the flesh to those in Christ Jesus is a result of responding to the gospel. Now, I find that that's elementary. I understand this. I hope you understand it, but I need to make this point proven in that the distinction between the two groups requires a response of faith. And as a result of the response of faith, there is a new mindset that happens. But for those in Christ, there's the opposite. There are those who are of the flesh. So track with me at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, these... These are the individuals who are not found in Christ. Where are they found? They're found in the flesh, found in sin, under sin. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is important for us to realize. What does it mean for those of the flesh to have a mind fixed on the flesh? He uses a unique term here. Mindset carries the idea of adhering itself to the, to the individual or to the idea of that position. For example, my mindset to play soccer will determine the way that I use my free time, right? I will, knowing soccer, you have to run a lot. So you'll put a, t- a lot of time in to, to running and practicing and dribbling and running and dribbling and kicking and score. Your mindset is fixed on it and then you adhere yourself to accomplish its aim. But those who are in the flesh have a mindset fixed, fixed to adhere itself to its ambitions of those in the flesh. Where does this look like? What does this look like in the letter of Romans? 
largely ignored texts, like maybe 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Look at Romans 1, 29 through 32. The mind that is in the flesh, which is its hearing itself to that of the flesh, will produce this type of living. Being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. The list goes on. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, here's what the mind does. This is why we're going to see a harsh contrast for those who were in Christ and those who are in the flesh. That those who practice such thing, although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. This is what the flesh does. They set their mind on death. The result is for death. They do not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. If you, when we consider now the reading for us this morning, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds, they give hearty approval, hearty approval to the things of sin. This is fascinating why you can have in the midst of a world, a society actually supporting, adhering, and promoting sinful actions. Why? Because there is a mindset fixed on accomplishing that aim. And if that is true, who will save, as Paul has already argued in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? That there is within the human being the desire to adhere itself and to promote, to establish, Romans 1 is interesting, or reinvent new evils within the world. And so those who are in Christ have a whole different mindset. For those who are in the flesh have an entirely different mindset. Consider with me. I'm laboring on this to make a point. You can see the contrast in Romans 5-6. through 6. For while there are those of the flesh and those of the Spirit, read with me. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh in contrast but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. Man, why is it that Christians who are in Christ do not support sinful decisions? Think about it. Why do we not support, and we speak out on issues like 1 Corinthians 9, which so many of us hesitate to address. Why? Because it leads to what? Death. I've used this illustration enough. But I'll use it to prove a point here again. When a mother is walking through the parking lot and the child breaks free from her hand of safety and starts running across the parking lot, what does a mother do? She says, stop, get back here. Why? Because if the child continues in that behavior, it could lead to what? Death. Christians ought to recognize the reason why we do not support or promote or adhere towards sinful decisions is because we know the trajectory of sin leads to disastrous outcomes. Death. And not just death in the physical aspect, but death in eternal separation from God. 
This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 9 becomes something that which is hopeful for the Christian. Because this, if we support someone who pursues in drunkenness, it will lead to what? Death. And there is a list of, we do not participate in slandering because it will ultimately lead to death. And there is the, we recognize in the world that we live, there are these two mindsets that are in conflict with one another. I got off track there. Verse 5. Let me get start over. <laughs> For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. 7 and 8. Describing more of the flesh. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It actually looks at the law and God and deems it evil, wicked. And it adheres itself against it. For it is not even able to do so. And those, who's the those? We're asking the question, what are the thoses? Who are those under the flesh? Those who are in the flesh cannot... Please, God. This is why we must be very careful. The world gives it super easy an idea of a response to say, yes, all religions can lead to God. The Christian who knows who Christ is and what he has offered to the believer does not support, adhere, or promote such a perspective. Why? It'll lead to death. Eternal separation. For there's been no other name given to man by which we might be saved, but... Christ, right? And so we do not promote or adhere the things that the world might promote, recognizing that by doing this, like a mother who calls her child to stop, is loving and caring. And in the midst of the world, a child, man, I've been told to do things as a child that I do not think is wise by my parents, only to find out later as I've grown older that those things which they called me to were loving caring. Could you imagine? Paul actually will talk about this thing. Thessalonians. Could you imagine a world where there is no church to call the world back? Where they will adhere themselves towards things of the flesh, pursue a life which is hostile towards God, and live a life, a lifetime, unable to please Him. There is a contrast here. There are those who are in Christ who have found no condemnation. There are those who have found, who remain under the flesh and have the, excuse me, under Christ and have the Spirit. That is point one. Who is the those? There are two groups, those in Christ and those in the flesh. I do not see them as being interwoven. They are distinct. Verse, point number two. And I've emphasized this already. But I'll do it one more in emphasis to recognize the conflict. Look at verse 4. The two are in conflict. Paul's going to say it three times. Look at verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, walk differently. Well, who changes the mind of a man? This is what we're asking. But 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the first emphasis. You can notice the but is the point of contrast. It's contrasting itself to once, once we, how we once walked. Verse 5, you'll see it two more times. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Second contrast. Who, who changes the mind of a man? This is going to be significant for how we recognize to call a world into righteous living. Third occurrence. Verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset of the, on the Spirit is life and peace. What's the difference? It's not law. It's not education. What is it? The Spirit of God so transforms an individual that when they have the Spirit of God within them, it changes their entire mindset. And in that moment, there is a conflict that now exists with them in the world. This is why Paul wants to go to the church in Rome. He's eager to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because it's through Christ Jesus in response to his sacrifice for them by faith. It inaugurates the invitation of the Holy Spirit to go into their mind and transform them. And redeem them. And regenerate them. And literally change the way they think. And there is no form of education, no form of practicing under law that can accomplish this. And to prove my point... Consider with me Paul himself, who once was Saul. And so I'll go through this. I want you to witness this. Because if we have anything to offer the world in the midst of all of its sin, the world doesn't have a problem with identifying sin. They don't have a problem with it. You can watch the last year and you can recognize they can see it in its leaders. They can see it within the church. They can see it within society. They can see it, but they are unable to recognize how one is changed to live from it. I want us to recognize how we are transformed. Paul wants us to recognize, or you, who thought, we'll just read the Bible, read the law. That'll make you better. Acts 9, verses 1 through 2. You will witness in the life of Paul the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. And when you witness it, I pray that you witness it in yourself. Now Saul is breathing threats and murder. This is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he went to the high priest and asked for a letter from him to the synagogue, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All people who knew the law, who knew the scriptures, was it not Paul? And yet, even in his position, knowing the law, he found himself bearing the fruit of the flesh. Which is what? Murder, strife, slander, envy, hatred towards God. And he wants to pour out that fruit of the flesh by capturing those who follow with Christ. 
It sounds a lot like to me, Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. He had his mind set on the flesh, which was hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Saul found himself being hostile towards the church. And he thought, and he'll tell this to the, the governors and the rulers, he thought while he was persecuting Christians that he was actually doing something right, good and righteous and holy. So we have to ask the question, what changes the mind of a man? He had everything. Religious community, scriptures, support, who will change his mind? Verse, chapter 9, verse 3. And as he was traveling, it happened. Probably one of the most, most fascinating two words in the scriptures. Because you have it in your moment, in your life, it happened. Where you once were headed one way, you had a mindset set against God, and God said no. You opened your eyes to see the glories of Christ, and it happened. Happened to Paul. It happened. That he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He had thought he was pursuing God, yet running against him. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, the Lord, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. His mindset was in the flesh, resulting in producing death. He was fighting against God. He was hostile toward God. Who changes the mind of a man? Consider verses 11 through 17. The Lord said to him, get up, and this is Ananias. Ananias has heard word that uh, Paul is going to be coming to Damascus. The church has been warned. Be careful around Saul, Paul, because he is going to capture. He wants to bring you back to Jerusalem and humiliate you and undo you. Ananias then, not hearing what happened to Saul or Paul, gets this word from the Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to this street called Straight. And acquire the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, where he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Well, notice Ananias' response. Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, how fixed his mind is on the things which Christ and those of his followers represent, and how he has set himself against them. Verse 14. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias parted, 
and entered the house. And Ananias goes into a, in a room. Saul, who's got a reputation that precedes him, mocks, threatens, kills Christians, who has been well known for pursuing everything that Christianity represents. He enters that room. What do you think he might anticipate? After, look at how he entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, praise Now, how does that happen? That you would treat your enemy as a brother. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What you will find next is a response of Saul and or Paul that totally changes his mindset. It just takes a few verses and you recognize in verse 20 and immediately Paul, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he's the son of God. Who has the power to change a man's mind? Christians, this is very important. Who has the power for you to hate sin? Do you think you have it? Who gives one the ability to say, Jesus Christ is Lord? Not reading the Bible. Paul did. The Jew did. Something happened that changed his fixed mind to a new position. That once he was in the flesh, but now he's in Christ Jesus and has been gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit. That he is so transformed in his thinking, he goes back to the synagogue that he was going to persecute to echo the truths of the Christians that find themselves there. He is the Son of God. And in verse 21, those hearing him were amazed and were saying, Is this not he? who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name, on this name Jesus, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Who changes the mind of a man? Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time that we as Christians recognize who's changed your way of thinking. It's not by sitting in this. It's a part. The reason why we sit together is by the result of the power of the Holy Spirit doing something in you. For the world doesn't sit on a Sunday morning to hear from this, do they? The mere fact that you find yourself sitting here considering these words is the manifestation of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit for you to delight in such things. The mere fact that you delight in singing with others. The world might sing happy birthday with one another. But not like the church, which we will say our grace has been experienced through Christ Jesus. We were sinners, but his mercy is more. Great is thy faithfulness. Those testimonies within the mind have been so transformed, not by your will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within you who has saved you. 
The power of the Holy Spirit saves your mind. It makes you hate sin. This is why we don't preach the law. We preach the power of the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of sin. We grieve our sin. We do not hide our sin like the world. We confront our sin because we want to be like Christ. What are these moments which we find ourselves in when we experience these things? The power of the Holy Spirit is revealing these things to us. You once walked according to the flesh, but you don't walk according to the flesh anymore. You walk according to the Spirit. And so now we see, we recognize why the conflict exists. We once thought that there might be a portion of of time where abortion would be right. But now we recognize, no, the author of life is God. And we should preserve life. And the fruit of the flesh is death. That's why abortion is wrong. It kills. I could go on. This is why we hate and we don't want to promote drunkenness. Because we recognize the result of this will lead to death. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of reality. If you head down that that road, you will be destroyed. You think it's life. Paul thought it was life. He thought, he actually, he thought that what he was doing was good. And we don't take this new position that we found in Christ and then flip it back on the world as condemnation, but we grieve for the world. They're heading at 150 miles an hour off a cliff. And who will save them? Who will change their mindset to recognize that they need to repent? But the power of the Holy Spirit. Who saves? Who changes the mind of a man? God. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And praise God that you have been given that helper. So, point three, our convictional response. This is why Paul said, I'm eager. Preach the gospel to those of you in Rome. Because if there's anything to save a man's mind, it's the gospel. I live in a society now that thinks they can get social justice by changing the law code. Think about it. Who changes the mind? Law code? Of all people, the Jew knew law doesn't change the mind. In fact, it only leads them to go, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And the church, if any time, should be unwavering. It should be so much more eager to preach the gospel. Because no social justice will be accomplished by changing law code. You need to change the mind of a man. Oh, how do you change the mind of a man? Well, like Paul, he's not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. Do you see it? What do you have to offer those in your family, your workplaces, in your school? The transforming work of the Holy Spirit. 
found in Christ. How I long for Christians like Paul to realize this. And I know, I know I live in a world that would say, and be critical of my position, and I would agree, they would agree with Paul's position. What we need to do is better education and tightening of the law code. No. You need to change the mind of a man. And there is only one thing, and the Jew realized this and they knew this. You could sit under the greatest preacher in the world and kill him. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. They found the greatest preacher before them. They were amazed. They were astonished. He preached the scriptures and they said, done with you, we'll kill you, we're murderers. And the only way by which you might be transformed in the mind of your thinking be totally renewed is by the power of the Holy Paul experienced this. Peter experienced this. All the disciples experienced this. Because unless the Spirit shows up, your mind will be hostile and set against him and find yourself being unable to please God. So I would encourage you with these things. Corinth was a uh, more immoral society. Awful. Prostitution was was openly practiced. Idol worship was openly supported. And Paul, when he went there, he could have gone out there and Corinth valued eloquent teaching, fancy words. He writes, when I went to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, when I came to you, brethren, I do not come up with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you to you the testimony of God. What did he do? For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How do you transform an immoral society? Through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time the church believes this. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, he continues, I was weak. I was with you in weakness. See, this is the confidence for the Christian who has the Spirit. You can be physically weak and in fear and in much trembling of the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables you to open your mouth and proclaim the truth. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, better education, better understanding, better knowledge, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man or men, but on the power of God. Our only hope for our world around us is to, for them to see Christ respond to him and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which for those of you who have, have, just think about it. We are a church that loves singing together, reading from this together, fellowshipping together. Don't think that you've done that by your own will. The power of the Holy Spirit has done that within you. Men, when you find yourself at a computer, a phone, or iPad, and temptation comes your way. Sins of your former days under the flesh says, hey, remember what fun we used to have? 
When you put your phone down and your iPad and you walk away from that computer, you are witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit within you, compelling you to flee from sin. It is the power of God that enables you to do such things. For if you did not have him, you would not have done so. As a parent, we recognize we want to raise our children to love the Lord. And we fall short. Indeed, I have done that once or twice. But what enables a parent to go back to his child, one of weaker status, and say, I overreacted, I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? Who does that? Who changes the mind of a man to acknowledge his sin to a three-year-old? You cannot, your presidents and governors will not do this. Yet you will do it in the quiet realms of your home when no one is watching or considering. Because the Holy Spirit changes the mind of a man and a woman to delight in walking in these ways. You know, you ever find the conviction like, I think I wronged them. I'm not sure. But I'll just go ahead and go through the awkward conversation and say, hey, I think what I said hurt. Who compels you to do those things? For the sake of unity with one another, but not the power of the Holy Spirit. Pursue unity and love towards one another. And we do these things, recognize that we live in the midst of a world which will often undermine those convictions. We've asked the question, why is it this way? It's this way because there are two mindsets. And there is a mindset that is fixed on the flesh. And they do not desire to please God. And as a result of for you being in Christ, they are set against you. And the principles which you delight in. And our response towards the world is not to respond in hostility, but to respond with compassion and grace. Speaking our minds and the hope within us, which is in Christ, who transforms our hearts. 1 Corinthians, I conclude with this. Adam brought this to my attention this week. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware You know that when you were pagans under the flesh, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. You you set your ambitions, you desired to promote, adhere to sinful delight. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. You don't say that anymore. In fact... No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And it's this, as a testimony, that when we say, Jesus Christ is Lord, in the midst of a world that would say, no, he's not. We have found ourselves, the person, our mindset being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, parents, adults in the workplace, you can force, you can put out law, you can... But further education, but unless they respond to the Holy Spirit or respond to Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, which he offers to those who believe, nothing's going to change. I pray that we as a people would hope in that thing, realizing the grace that God has given you.
that you delight now in the things of God. Pray. Lord, I pray. There is so many attempts to try to pursue the world to act righteously. And we live in a broken world. I mean, we, can, we recognize you can sit in a church and not respond to the gospel or even fake that response to the gospel and live in sin, which produces death. I think we saw it this last week. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not masquerade our walk, but that it would be genuine, that we have responded to Christ and that we have opened ourselves to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of sin, which moves and compels us to delight in the things which are holy, righteous, and good. Lord, I pray that as we hold to these things, Lord, that we would plead, let us be a people that walk by the Spirit, according to the Spirit, but not by the law, not by the letter, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would reign as Lord in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.